For our series of the ADC's competition talks with leading experts, we have today Philip Marsden. Philip has a doctorate in law from the University of Oxford, and he is Professor of Law and Economics at the College of Europe in Bruges. He also has a number of UK government roles, including being Deputy Chair of the Bank of England's Enforcement Decision-Making Committee and a case decision-maker at Financial Conduct Authority, the payment system regulator at the UK, as well as Ofgem. In September 2018, Philip was appointed to the Treasury's Digital Competition Experts Panel, which produced a Furman Review Unlocking Digital Competition, and in June 2019, he was appointed to the Governments of Open Finance Advisory Group, advising the FCA on how to extend open banking to other financial services and sectors. For 10 years until October 2018, Philip held various roles at the UK Competition Authority and was a board member of the Channel Islands Competition and Regulatory Authorities. Philip, welcome to the ADC. It's my pleasure to have this Comcast with you. Thank you very much. So now let's move on to the substance of our Comcast. And I would start by the Furman Report. 2019 was definitely a year of reports addressing competition issues in the digital era with a number of influential reports. We've mentioned already the Unlocking Digital Competition Report, the Furman Report, which you have co-authored. We had the European Commission report prepared by Jacques Remer and his colleagues. We had the Stigler report, so many reports to generate some food for thought. And in your view, what is the key difference between the Furman Review and these other influential reports? In particular, would you say that the Furman Review is more or less interventionist from a regulatory point of view in terms of the challenges uh, of the digital era? Well, you're right. There were so many reports last year, and indeed, they all seem to be moving in the same direction. That said, the differences that I've identified, at least, are with respect to the degree of intervention. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, we stayed away in our Furman report from the idea of changing legal presumptions, that kind of activity or intervention, in a sense. We wanted to go with the grain of existing law, but we wanted to add a complementary pro-competitive regulatory mechanism to that through a digital markets unit and a strategic market status-based code of conduct. So this was to complement antitrust law enforcement. So one of the differences between uh, our report and, and some of the others is that while we did have some recommendations for changes to competition law with respect to the substantive merger test, with respect to interim measures and the ability to bring cases more quickly, we didn't really want to alter the direction or the flow of competition law enforcement itself. Uh, what we wanted to do instead was to add this complementary mechanism to be able to address some of the problems more quickly. Because also the market moves quickly, so we need quick answers to the problems that were identified indeed. One of the key recommendations that you already mentioned in the Furman Review was the establishment of a digital markets unit tasked with securing competition in digital markets. Uh, can you give us any insights or updates into the development, the implementation of these recommendations? So we're recording this on a day that is really quite sad for me. I'm very happy to be in Lisbon. Um, I'm not happy to be going back to my crazy island tomorrow because tomorrow is the day when uh, the UK leaves the European Union. And uh, I mentioned that because due to Brexit and many other issues, there has been a degree of paralysis at the top of the UK government. And indeed, we need ministerial approval and indeed legislation to be able to create this digital markets unit and this code. Nevertheless, I'm still thrilled that I was able to be a part of essentially five academics with a great support from the Treasury to create a report. And then within a few months of us issuing our report last year, the Prime Minister said we will be developing a digital markets unit and this code. And so the wheels are turning. It's just they're turning a little bit more slowly than we would have liked. But nevertheless, they are turning. 
And as I understand it, based on the Competition and Markets Authority recent report about uh, online advertising, in which they have several very interesting annexes discussing what would be SMS, strategic market status, and what would be an appropriate code of conduct, I have no doubt that when it is time finally for the political go-ahead to be, uh, the button to be pressed, that the wheels will move quickly and the UK will be a, a leading force in having this kind of digital markets unit. Remembering, of course, that it's not all about the code and the conduct and these things, it's also about engaging with industry on a daily basis to try to open up sectors and uh, use data portability and uh, open APIs to try to actually catch problems before they develop. The code is more to do with preventing bad practices that we've already identified. But I think the technological aspects of it, which are indeed based on open banking, are things that are really powerful for the unit to be working on in the first instance. Indeed, and you've touched upon two things that I would ask you, Philippe, to go into more detail. In particular, there's one issue which is very important in the Furman review, which is data mobility and how to enhance data mobility in the digital era. And the Open Banking Initiative in the UK is all about data mobility and all about implementing systems such as the, the APIs to ensure data mobility and that all firms uh, have an opportunity to compete and innovate. Now, building on this issue of the Open Banking, I would make three questions. So let me state these three questions. The first is, what can we learn from the Open Banking Initiative so far? The second one is, what challenges do new fintech providers still face in terms of access to data? So which relates to the first one, which is, uh, where are we in terms of open banking so far? And then more broadly, and I think the Furman Review mentions this as well, this experience of open banking and in Europe with the Second Payment Service Directive too, is an example of how data mobility can be implemented. What lessons do you think can we learn from the open banking to be applied in other sectors more broadly in terms of the need to ensure data access in the digital era? Thank you. Well, one lesson to learn right away is the fact that uh, we had a lot of political pressure on us in the middle of our banking inquiry to have a structural solution, to, have, to essentially break up the banks. You are hearing echoes of that, or at least not even echoes, very loud voices in that regard with respect to the digital platforms discussions, especially in the United States. And we had these breakup powers, and many other authorities have them as well. And we found no extraordinary evidence base to justify such an extraordinary remedy, nor did we think it would work. So we indeed, as you say, uh, instead of breaking up the banks, we opened them up through data portability and open API obligations. Indeed, data portability and data mobility, in many people's minds, uh, they think, well, this relies primarily on the demand side. Customers have to say, I want my data to move. And most customers will not want their financial data to move anywhere or to grant access to that. And indeed, most customers themselves are not that keen on switching. And when we've had pressure from people and politicians to say, well, where is the switching going on in the UK? Where, where is this, this competitive force must be based on switching between the banks? We tried to make it very clear that our evidence base shows that British people switch their spouses more frequently <laughs> than they switch their banks. And so switching is not going to be the remedy necessarily. What we want is not divorce. We want engagement. So if you transfer that to the digital platforms, we're not saying to people, 
delete Facebook, delete Instagram, delete WhatsApp, which of course are all one company, or delete Amazon or anything like that. These tools are amazing tools for, for many of us. And we can use a shiny little phone and order food or a taxi or whatever you like. There's amazing things that can, can come out of this. We're not, and our Furman report tries to recommend and, and point out to people the many benefits that we should recognize from these innovators. But nevertheless, there is a degree to which they could be doing more with respect to respecting privacy, with respect to taking care about what their algorithms show us and show our children. A range of things that competition officials are never supposed to be regulating in terms of online harms, privacy, these areas. But nevertheless, the ability for these firms to have this impact on the market, whether good or bad, a lot of it's to do with market power. And that is where competition authorities and regulators come in, is checking market power. And we felt that, okay, we cannot really rely on the demand side. Let's say, and in some countries, they're trying to enact a, a so-called consumer data right, so that the consumers are empowered. And I think that's a good move, and we should do that. We took a, a different perspective to say, instead of focusing on a consumer data right and then allowing the mobility to happen, we focused on interoperability, which means that the firms are required, when a consumer signals to the firm, the bank or the platform, that it wants its social graph to be moved, for example, then they have to do that. And so we're looking at ideas about consents for consumers who are at least interested in, in having, say, a dashboard on their screen, where they don't have to look through 11 different apps to catch up with their friends or their work or whatever. If they want to have that unified sort of offering, whether it's social media, whether it's banking or whatever, they will have to grant some access for the intermediaries, the fintechs or the third-party providers to have access to that data. But no data is really transferring. It's just access to the data. So a lot of times I get criticism from data protection experts saying, well, which data are you granting access to? And data is very different and many different data points. I agree. These are very difficult questions. But no data is actually moving. Right? In our open banking example, we're using a very heavily regulated data sandbox, regulated the, the Financial Conduct Authority. And no, data is not being moved around like that. It, what it is, it's access for the new competitors, the disruptors, to train their algorithms on the data and then be able to offer you a new tool, a new app on your screen. But indeed, much of it depends on enlivening the demand side. But if we only relied on consumers only and didn't use interoperability, and if we only relied on portability, I don't think we would see much success, right? Because consumers are naturally... We might say lazy, they might, we might say inert, they value their time, they would prefer to binge on Netflix than check their bank account. I understand this. But we're hoping that the data portability remedies and the interoperability remedies will mean that other parties will provide that easy app or whizzy new technique so that you can quickly identify it. And my final point there is we do have to make sure that there are commercial incentives to create these things. And so in the UK, we actually stimulated a, a competition uh, through a charity called Nesta, where app developers had to come through and provide their offerings. And then we made the large banks give money into a pot to then pay the winners of these designs, um, just to sort of stimulate a little bit of, of entry into the area. And we're seeing it moving. It's, it, it is actually changing the market it, gradually, slowly. And in our open finance advisory group, we are regularly checking to see that now we have a million British customers who are actively engaged in open banking solutions that never existed before. Right? We have products that we didn't even think would exist before, which is really what we were aiming at. We're not trying to design markets. We're trying to release a little bit of data, a little bit of access to the data, so that new products can be created or not. But they have to be commercially sensible and viable products. But we're not trying to design new remedies or tell the banks what they should be doing or should be not doing. But when you see a situation where incumbents are just sitting on data and not doing anything with it, 
or perhaps milking it only for the purposes of advertising. And there could be other uses for that data, whether it's to provide improved health care or you know, you know, even with all the concerns that people have about health information. There must be some op opportunity there to open up the market a little bit. And that's what we were trying to do. So providing opportunities rather than doing market design. And, exactly. and I think that avoiding these hurdles in access to data is in, indeed very important. Philip, thank you very much for this Comcast. It was very, very nice to have this chat with you and to, to have you share all those insights with us. And can I say one last thing? I mean, it's, I'm in Lisbon. It's going to be January 31st tomorrow. Can I stay? <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Please do. Thank you very much, Philip.